Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. So we are in the second week of a new series called Devoted. And um, as it says on the title, it's a series looking at this early church that isn't a prescription of local church, but it very much is a description of the potential when the church gets some of these things right. And we're going to read that scripture a little bit later, but the reality is the concept of devotion is a different thing these days. I've been to many, many weddings. I've done about 140 weddings. Um, and I've had the privilege of that, and I've heard some pretty big promises. I've heard some promises of business partners in boardrooms. I've heard some promises, but devotion is something that seems to have lost something of its kick. Um, I know myself, every year there's a devotion to something called Year of the Athlete. And uh, why are we laughing? Sorry, I can see I haven't been in a while. And uh, no. But, but every year I have this, I want to be an athlete. I'm kind of pushing 40. I'm not going to tell you how close, but I'm getting close. And um, come inside, Jeff and Jane. Don't sneak in the back door. These are our friends from 3CR Church. Love you guys. How's it, buddy? And, um, but I have a devotion to this thing. I want to be an athlete. I have this year of that. But then I realize every time it gets to winter, which is kind of the end of May, I'm way more devoted to Milo and Rusks than I ever was devoted to being an athlete. It's my real devotions show. My passions show and get revealed. And every year it's the same thing. The green tub in the cupboard that hides for summer. And I just don't seem to find it. Winter arrives and I find the green tub. It, it's terrible. I dream about it. I wake up from bed to go and make a cup of Milo at like 2 in the morning, put the alarm off the whole thing just to get Milo and Rusks. I'm devoted to Milo and Rusks. I really, it might not be a good one, but I am devoted. And, and, but the challenges in our world, devotion, and is because of our commitment phobia and the fact that the only thing people are committed to is their commitment phobia. And we live in a world where people make statements like, well, let's not get married. Let's date for 17 years, see if it works out, see how we get there. Let me tell you, no one is compatible and everyone is compatible. Because the only thing that makes us compatible and able to do life is Jesus. It's the only thing. And as we navigate these journeys, some of the new normals of the world start to creep into the church. And God says, no, I want to pull you back to my word. I want to pull you back to my ways. Why? Because I want you to be more like me than the world. I want you to be like me. And as we gaze these challenges, we understand that things like one night stands that are normals in the world start becoming challenges and normals in the church. And we're having a one night stand with the church. And I've met with people and, and, and partnerships like this, like Norbert's in his story. I've met with people who said, actually, well, I've just been here five weeks. I'm dating the church. I'm like, okay. Does that mean we're dating? I'm not sure how that works. And my mom, my best behavior, must I bring flowers? I'm not sure. But this is the world we live in. And we've got to fight to understand that actually I think there is this wrong theology that is out there that people are living out, which is as long as it's me and my Jesus, I've just got me and my Jesus. And we hang around. We listen to our worship together. And as long as we're good, it's all good. But there is this challenge in the early church, and when I look at Jesus, who invests himself into 12 guys, he doesn't say to them, hey, you know what, I like hanging around you guys, but I need to be at Galilee. I'll see you there in two days. Poof, he's gone. And they walk, and they're in the snow. They're not, there's no snow, but they're in the sun, and they're getting burnt. They're like, yes, it really is going to be cool to see Jesus, but it'd really be nice if he walks with us. And they arrive at Galilee, broken from the heat, and Jesus just appears. Poof, how's it, guys? He didn't do that. He walked the streets with them. 
he got the dust all over him. He, he experienced the lack of water, so he had to go to wells. And at the wells, he encountered ladies at the well, and he ministered the grace of God. But he walked the streets, and all those stories happened because Jesus committed himself to doing life with 12 guys. 12 guys with, with cowardice all over them the minute any child came. 12 guys who literally got it wrong ongoingly. He committed himself. He devoted himself to doing life with them. And community is not just an idea that's thrown out around and it's this nice idea, let's do community. Community is important for us for a number of reasons. Number one, God is in himself perfect community. That's who God is. We always start with who God is. We don't look at the church. Even Acts 2 is not the starting point for community. The starting point for community is who God is. Number one, perfect community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing the dance of the Trinity, and they invite us into their community. It's beautiful. And then Jesus comes, he says, well, I, and, and God speaks, and the first thing he says is, I didn't create man to be in community with him alone. He says, no, actually it's not good for man to be alone. But was man alone? He wasn't alone. He was with God. Adam's walking. Ah, giraffe, platypus. Me and God, we're just naming the animals. We're just walking the God. And he wasn't alone. But God says, it's not good for man to be alone. What is he talking about? He says, you need other men and women to do life with, to engage challenges with. And as we navigate this, we start saying, well, God says that. Well, then God comes and reveals himself by choosing a community who are probably still one of the communities, the Israelites, Hebraic community, who still do community at a high, high level and challenge us to many things. And God says, I'm going to choose you as my people. And I'm placed my presence in the middle of you. What? A community. And as they moved around, and even in the Exodus, as they're going around the desert, the presence of God is in the middle of them, called the ark. He says, I choose to place myself in the middle of what? Community. And then lastly, Jesus still chooses a community, and he calls it the church. He says, the called out ones. I want you to do life together. I want you to tackle some things. I want you to pioneer. I want you to pray. I want you to call out for little Rosalind, 19 months old in hospital, and for Brett's legs. Although Brett's got gifted legs. We don't need to pray for Brett's legs. Let's be honest. He's got good legs. Anyway, that's not important. But the big idea of this series is that actually... It's about Christ-centered community, and it's not something that the Christian does. It is something they devote themselves to. It's not what we do. And if you're just doing community because you think it's the right thing to do, I promise you won't get the fullness out of it. There will be benefits, but you won't get the fullness. The Bible says they devote to themselves. So I want to read from Acts 2 again, verse 40, 42 to 47. This is the early church Peter's just preached, 3,000 got saved. They are clueless. There's been no membership courses. There's been no, this is how we do community courses. And there have been no examples on the internet because there isn't the internet at this time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Oh, temple courts and homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. What is it describing? Well, it's describing the early church, and I believe it's painting a picture of potential for us as the church. And it says these things. It says all the people were well taken care of. Why? Because they were in relationship. 
how do we know that Rosalind was not well? Because her dad phoned me and phoned other people in this community. So people started to pray. And we phoned other people who don't know Guy and Debbie. Because he let people know. It says, God was highly praised. It says, everyone thought highly of them. There was this, not just the church, but everyone around the church thought highly of these believers. God is doing something with them. And new people were added to them every day. It sounds like a pretty fun church to be a part of. I want to be a part of that church where, where everyone's looked after, where there's space for everyone, where there's high praise of Jesus, where there's life and energy in every time they come together because people look at them with awe every time they gather. It's what the call's called to be. But I'm telling you, there's a whole bunch of things that undercut us and, and trip us up in these moments. I want to speak about today, last week I spoke about doing life together. I want to speak today about doing courageous conflict. Is that all right? And because we know that the Bible says, well, teach them to obey, but it also challenges us, says, teach them how to obey. As I've done pastoral ministry for 12 years, as a corporate place for nine years, I've realized people are very, very, very bad at conflict. And I'm not sure the church is always that much better. And so we've got to engage the word and say, actually, we all know the feeling. You know when you're in that room and something just goes a little sour in the conversation? You know there's that conversation that needs to happen. You know there's that challenge that needs to come with someone you love. You know that, that those, those moments that actually you just, you can't avoid. And then sometimes there's just this elephant in the room and no one wants to say anything about it. I've been in rooms like that with pastors and no one says anything. And we've got to understand God is calling us to a higher standard. And if we just avoid conflict or, or, or we try to just minimize it, it doesn't go away. Here's the lie that gets preached everywhere and spoken about everywhere. Time will heal. Time doesn't heal anything. It's not in the Bible. It's not true. It's not a reality. Time doesn't heal. Jesus heals. And the Holy Spirit inside of us transforming us, making, more, making us more like Jesus, he heals. But time doesn't heal. Just putting something to the side, avoiding it doesn't heal. Honestly, guys, I'm, I, I've sat with so many Christians who completely self-justify why they haven't spoken to their brother in 12 years. It's not right. It's wrong. And you have every ability to rectify that relationship. And I'm going to tell you some of those things and challenge us in those things. Here's what I'm going to tell you is conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable. You go to a church and they say, well, you know what? We, we just don't ever have conflict here. Run! Because you're not going to grow up. Because in the world we live in, in the world we call to minister to, you will have conflict all the time. The Bible promises it. So why not learn how to do it well in church with our mates? People who love Jesus, people who love each other, where we can engage and bring our differences to the table and talk through it. Is that all right? I, I, I have a passion for this. I'm going to get excited. But there will always be conflict because our world is broken. It's broken politically. It's broken socially. It's broken sexually. It's broken economically. Our world is broken. And because our world is broken, conflict is coming. Conflict is coming. That could make a good movie. Conflict is coming. And if it's, it's not just in the marketplace, it's in families and brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and mother-in-laws and, and your best friends navigating life together and, and work colleagues and bosses. Oh, but I, I just, I, 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 my boss has limited my career. Well, go and have a conversation with him. Oh, you can't do that? No, you can. 
I remember I worked in a corporate space where the culture of our city was everyone went home at 4, 4.30, but the culture in my business, because everyone came from outside of the city, was you work till 7. But I was leading a life group, I was leading bands, and I loved this girl. So when I got promoted, I went to my boss and said, I'm so thankful for the promotion. Just tell you, I'm going to leave at Hoppers 4 every day, but you will get more out of me than any of your other employees. She didn't know what to say. This corporate lady who'd given her life to a corporate world, who'd made decisions not to have children and a whole bunch of other sacrifices for this corporate world. And to her, the only option was to give it all to this corporate world. And here's a young guy who's getting her first opportunity saying, I'm all up for it. I'm just telling you, I'm going to leave it hoppers for. Was it an easy conversation? No. Was it a fruitful conversation? Unbelievably. I had more favor with that lady who everyone feared, and I mean feared, I got a promotion while on honeymoon because she fired my boss who was seven months pregnant while I was away. She was a tough lady. They feared her. But when we learn to do these things and do them in honoring and welcome and, and ways where we honor people and, and we, we're really honest, I think we'll see things. I, I look at Paul the apostle. He's the master of conflict. In Galatians, there's a big truth of freedom at stake. And Paul has, has this Public confrontation with who? Peter, the guy who preached to 3,000, got saved, and this scripture came out of Acts 2. He has a confrontation with him. Oh, the church, we shouldn't. We should just all keep quiet, just say yes. No rubbish. We are called to do robust life together, to challenge each other to more, to be like Jesus more. This happens in Romans 12. Do not, no, I'm not going to jump there quick. Yes, I am. He, he challenges this and he says, actually, this is the challenge because he knows, I'm going to talk about the Galatian scripture later, but in Romans, he knows what's at stake and he knows conflict is inevitable. He says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is he saying? Do everything the world says don't do. Do everything that the world would never do trust God, but he does put these premises on us. He says, if it is possible. Oh, Mark, you, you don't know what my brother did to me. You, you don't know. Now, is it possible, sir, that maybe you also don't know what was going on in his world at that time when he said that one thing that cut you so deep that it is impossible for you to reconcile a relationship? You don't know. Is it possible? And as far as it depends on you, those are the precedents. Those are the parameters. That is the guideline of the word. It says, if it is possible, and we sing about the mover of mountains, so I believe almost everything is possible. And as far as it depends on you. Oh, Mark, they stole money from you, and it was in the confidence of the church. Now, welcome to the club. Some get given wisdom, some learn it the hard way. Welcome to the club. As far, distance, time, energy, effort, as far, love, compassion poured out, as far as it depends on you. And I want to tell you, at the moment of that breakthrough is an occasion for grace that changes everything. 
in one moment. And some of us, I'm going to speak about why we don't do it, but we, we're fearful and we're wrapped up and we don't have courage for it because we haven't seen it done well because we never saw it done well in our, in our families. And, and you hear of families where divorce happens, but the kids have never once seen their parents' conflict. Like we just don't talk about it or we're just not compatible. No, you've just never had the courage or the ability to have a conversation that would lead to life. And now we're going to jump to Galatians where Paul challenges Peter. And it's Galatians chapter 2. And just think about the context. These are two big bulls of the gospel going at each other. It's beautiful. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I, came to, I said to Cephas, in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Fourth, grace comes into the story. Truth can come back. People can awaken to their senses because their senses have become dull. Peter can get back on a story and ends up dying a glorious death for Jesus. Why? Because a brother comes and challenges and brings truth to a city of Galatia and to the churches of Galatia. And two things, he did this, to his face, number one, and secondly, in front of all, because it affected all, and Cephas was a leader in front of all. There's some insights there for us. And I realize that in this room, if I were to put up the hand, who, true, who honestly thinks they are good at this, not many hands would go up. I know that. I'm trying to help us. I've had to learn to get good with this. Why? Because this cripples the church. And why do I know that? Because every time there are the challenge, I'm telling you the high points of history in God's stories are not about fleeing from conflict. It's generally about running towards it. I don't want to go there, Jonah said. I don't want to go there. No, you're going to go there, but I'm going to spit you out in a whale on the beach and you're going to go there. And every other leader, it's this journey of not running away from conflict. Jesus comes into the brokenness of our world, into the midst of a conflict that only he can solve. He says, I'm in. But what happens in the church? And, and uh, a, a, a very noisy, lively guy named Rory Dyer told me a story about four animals. He says, you see them in the church often. Who knows this one? Good, I need an example. Come here, Etienne. Come here, buddy. Come here. Oh, you want it. You know you do. Come here. Oh, come here. Okay. See, what happens in churches is, um, it's, I need a tortoise from you. So there are these four animals, and I'm just going to, it's like, we come to church, and we start doing relations or work, and your boss gets in trouble, and, and actually, it's, what you're going to do is, is, I just need you to, it's, I haven't even started the conversation, he's already, it's a, this is a hectic tortoise, it's like the worst kind of tortoise ever. But we start talking and the conversation gets really honest and really real. And X, I want the best for you, but you're late for every meeting and you're never there and you're unpromotable. Etienne? Hello? And what do we do? We just, we just tortoise. We just go back in our thing and hope no one else comes and talks to us. And if I make myself really quiet and really, really small and really, really back in my cage, people just forget I'm here. It's a problem. This happens in the church. And then secondly, there's the hair. I need, are your hamstrings ready? 
the hair. And this is the most common one in church. And let me be brutally honest, as I moved to Cape Town and it's a church city in many regards and there are lots and lots of churches around, you've got Christian pinball. Bing, 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 bing. Because every time there's a challenge, the hair comes out. And what does the hair do when the first confrontation comes? It's, you know what? Uh, uh, there we You haven't even had the conversation. He's gone. He's gone and he's, he's running. Many a great man in the word of God or great woman in the word of God, before they'd done anything, did this. They just ran from conflict, ran from challenge, ran from everything. What about the snake? It's like, it, it feels like, I'm so used to everyone taking me, yes. What are you, a ninja, bro? <laughs> and, and, and I'm just, I'm coming with a little bit of a bite. It's got a, but he's, I, and before we've even had a tough conversation, he's bitten me. It's like, and, and, and guys, it's, 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 it, the Bible says rebuke for life. The Bible says challenge each other for life. The Bible says call the more out of Jesus in each other. And that's never going to be easy because it's pulling something out of us called the brokenness of the world. But if we can't have those conversations and every time we strike back stronger and harder, we're just going to have a whole bunch of broken people calling themselves a church. And the last one, my personal favorite, is the turkey. What a turkey gets big, and then he's got that, go, 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 go. and every time someone comes and challenges, no, you come here, come here, come here. Every time the turkey, what happens with the turkey? They just get bigger. It's like, go, 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 and it's, 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 and you find alpha males in the church, the world around, just get bigger and bigger, and everyone's getting bigger and trying to become bigger than the other person, and if I can become bigger, I win. None of that leads to life. And yet it happens every day, every minute, every hour, and we are so tempted. And there's an enemy behind every opportunity saying, forget the opportunity of grace in this story. I want to tell you, you need to defend yourself. You need to justify yourself all over Facebook. You won't believe what happened to me today. Let me not go there. But so maybe other language you'll fully understand, Well, we just avoid it. You know that person, like I need to have a conversation and they sit that side of the church so you sit the other side. Or, or, or you just avoid going there. It's like I, I just, I, I, if they go to that coffee shop, I'll never go there again. But they're a believer too. You're gonna spend eternity together. It's a lot longer than now. It'll get awkward. When you get there, say, oh, hey, how's it? It's gonna get awkward. What about deflect or deny? It's just like, it's, well, there's nothing wrong with me. Just, what about them? They've got something wrong with you. No, Brett, we don't have an issue, but Gabe does. We do it. What about jumping ship? We've spoken about that. Oh, first trial, I'm gone. What's the issue? Oh, you know what? Your service time is a problem. Not so sure. You sure it's not that relational issue you just had with that person? Or that person? Or that person? Or the aggressor, you just you get big and you just clap them. And I tell you, often the the challenges it's so justifiable. You won't believe what they did to me. I probably will. I probably will because I spent one church, one year, one. I spent 20 years in one church with that guy named Rory Dyer who came up with those four things, and I want to do all of them just with him. 20 times over, thousand times over. If I'm being brutally honest, he's probably one of the people who've hurt me the most. But I can tell you now, I love him the most. I can tell you when he hurts, I hurt. 
Why? Because God put us together. I didn't choose him. He's a fancy boy from Hilton. I wasn't a fancy boy from Hilton, but God put us together. And because God put us together in his army to run together, we get over ourselves, we become bigger like Jesus, not bigger like a turkey, and we move forward. And we run into everything God has for us. And I'm telling you, Christians are bad of this. Why do I know that? Because the, the brokenness of, of, of people suing each other in the church is no different to the percentages of those suing each other outside of the church in America. And there's a 1% divorce rate difference between the church inside and outside. God says, I want you to get better at this. Most marriages don't fall apart because of incompatibility. I'm just telling you. It's just because the little conversations, the little foxes that happened all the way along, the little potential possibilities of grace to invade weren't taken. Why? Well, I want to give you a few reasons why they don't. Number one, and I've lost this one, but first one is fear. We fear. We fear people. We fear it not working out. We fear that, that actually it's not going to work out. The second thing I want to present to you is maybe we've become a bad honor in South Africa as, as a ya corporal, near corporal society. To honor someone is to not actually be honest. It's just to obey. Just to listen. No, no, no. Honesty means being honest. That's what the word means. It means telling you what's really inside you. Not to dump it on you, but to call you to more. As we navigate the story, why and how do we understand these things playing out? Well, I know that when we don't do these things well, we come into a really more small space. And the gospel Jesus called us to is salvation, a big space a spacious place in our relationships and the way we navigate life. I really don't know if these notes are here, so I'm just going to move forward. <laughs> just going to wing it. But fear is not a justifiable reason not to step into more of God. Where God is, where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Fear. Oh, Mark, I'm a quiet person and you're a really loud person. And you know, often I get told I'm intimidating. I don't think I'm intimidating. And yet I, I realize people have ways of processing and understanding and all these things. And I'm saying, no, we need to find ways of navigating these things. And Paul says, I become the weak so that I can reach the weak. Paul says, I become poor to reach the poor. Maybe sometimes, and I've had to learn this, I have to become quiet to reach the quiet. I know that. I'm not always good at that. But I know it. I, I become a little bit, little bit more subdued, a little bit... Why? Because what's at stake is so big. The glory of God and the mandate for his church to reach the nations. And we can't keep having schisms in churches with 37 splants, meaning we plant a church, but actually we just fell out of relationship with each other. No. No. I'm leaving that life group. Why? Because there's a kid who makes too much noise. Actually, you're leaving that life group because you don't like the challenge that's coming. You don't like the fact that they actually want to know you. They just don't want to entertain you on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. You should be grateful for that. You should receive it as a gift from God to you. I want to give us a few tools, a courageous conflict 101, because I've realized people aren't good at this. So I want to give a few tools. I'm not normally a, 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 a list kind of guy, but I feel like... People have so few tools in this regard. I'm doing a motorbike license soon, and I got sent this email of, of all the things I've got to do. And in reality, about 3% of those I will need on the road. But for this test, I've got to navigate. There's some rules. There's some things I've got to learn. I think we've got to learn some things. 
So maybe you could take down some notes and just take these few points down and navigate it if you want to get better at this. Number one, be quick out the blocks. What do I mean? I'm not talking about becoming a turkey quick. I'm talking about getting the conversation on the table. Get the elephant in the room in the light. Have the conversation. Get courage to understand that whether the conversation is around sex or communication or money, have the conversation. If you are married, learn this. I've sat with too many marriages that have been married for 20, 25 years, both dissatisfied in areas of their marriage, but they've never had the courage or confidence to have the conversation. Like subjects about sex or money or honor, or language used, or the children. Oh, if I touch that, it's gonna really blow up. So it's just easier not to have the conversation. No, please, please, if you love the person, put the conversation on the table in honor and love and respect and tone is really, really important. But have the conversation because avoiding it's not gonna heal it. Avoiding it's not gonna fix it. Avoiding it's not gonna bring life. And we navigate these things. I wanna give you a few hot tips in this regard. Number one, I've spoken about honesty. Number two, timing. Timing's important. Husbands or wives, can I, can I give you a, a helpful thing? Husbands and wives, and my wife is in the room, so I can tell you. Don't have a long day and you've had like dinner together, you've had coffee, you've watched a movie, it's like 10 o'clock, time to sleep and you get to bed and, and you say to your partner, mm, there's just something I'd really love us to talk about. Can we do that tomorrow? Don't do that. That is a, 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 a grenade. You've just pulled the plug and you've put it in the middle of it and then they blow up and you think, why are you blowing up? Because you're gonna destroy their sleep and their peace and their everything. If you can't have the conversation in the right time, not just the right time for you, have it in the right time for both of you when you are both at your best. Simple things, guys, but they change the game. And we understand these things. Actually, what we start seeing is Jesus invading and opportunities for his grace to invade our marriages and our friendships and our relationships. Gabe is here 90% of the time, so I'm gonna fight for him in a moment. If you have an issue with Gabe, please don't run up to him straight after the service, just after he's preached. It's possibly one of the most vulnerable times for a pastor. Don't run at him and tell him how you just didn't enjoy the fact that he didn't phone you this week or... He will be devastated because I know that he loves you. But don't do that. Don't do that for anyone. No one. Even your kids. You've got to learn timing. You've got to learn timing. Can I give you two other VP's hot tips? Number, number three, where possible and always possible, assume the best. When people don't phone you, assume that something else big has happened. That guy, Norbert's mom, was in hospital this week for cancer. I said to him, I'll visit your mom on Monday. But another little 19-month-old girl got sick, and I lost my bearings and time, and I didn't get there. And when I finally got to the phone, I said, Norbert, I'm so sorry. He said, no, 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 don't worry. I know that you're busy. I know there's stuff going on. No, I don't, I don't want to operate on that currency all the time. But I can do life with that guy when he can understand it. His mom can understand that there's life happening. Assume the best in people. Paul always assumed the best in the Corinthians who were chaos. He says, I write to you, peace and joy to you. I celebrate what God's done in you, but let me just help you in this thing. Assume the best in each other. And lastly, you want confrontation to go well? Give a gift. Oh, but you don't know what they've done to me. And now they've taken money from me. Now you want me to give money to give them a gift. Well, what did the father do to reconcile us 
He gave a gift of life. Just give a gift. You want to see a, a person who knows the, that this meeting's set up and the timing's set up and they've prepared themselves and they've got all their 25 points while you've hurt them. You put a gift on the table and saying, I love you and I know we've got to navigate some stuff, but I just bought you a gift. Everything changes. I need to navigate a few quick points, but understand this. Follow the correct steps. Matthew 18 lays it out. It says, if a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. It says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's in the word, black and white. It's very simple. Hear what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, go speak to your mate who knows nothing about the other side of the story, who will jump onto your page and go, oh, shame. Because they love you. Now, let me tell you what that's called. That's called gossip. And the Bible also speaks about that a lot and says it brings death. It brings chaos. And please, let me don't feel justified in telling your life group leader, well, I need guidance how to do it. No, you don't. The Bible tells you how to do it. Even telling me, Mark, I just need your wisdom. No, you don't. You need to go speak to your brother or sister and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Even speaking to me sometimes, it's, it's kind of justifiable gossip. It's still gossip. Ooh, that was a bit tough, eh? <laughs> Couple points that I don't have time to speak too long on about. Take ownership of your part right up front. Take ownership. I've spoken about self-justification, but Matthew 7 verse 5, you hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. It's a tough thing. We have blind spots then get people in your world who can point out your blind spots. Fight for those relationships. Point number four, listen. Here's what's the truth, and it's, it's a truism in our world. Hurt people, hurt people. So listen for the hurt. And try to fix the hurt so life can come so that hurt people don't have to hurt people anymore. Is that all right? Jesus challenges and a woman and he wants to reach out to a woman and she says to him, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. It's already a race thing. There's already a device. He says, no, no, no. He can hear the hurts and the anguish of the racism that had been poured upon this woman over years from both her, her, her social standing, her religious background, everything. She breaks through that. What about an attitude adjustment in relationships? Philippians challenges us. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. I can't take that standard off you. I can't say, oh, you've only been saved for 17 years. Jesus lived for 30 years on the earth, so after 30 years, you'll be like Jesus. No, the Bible says you've got the Spirit of God inside of you. Old is dead, the new has come. I want to bring my glory through your life. It's about growing up and stepping up into more. Two more things. Speak the truth in love. Oh, I love our Facebook evangelists. I love our truth custodians of the gospel on Facebook. Oh, I love them. I don't. Because Ephesians tells me, instead, speaking the truth in love. And we're shouting at the world in capital letters on Facebook because we think somehow it gives us a license to shout at them, and it really doesn't. I don't care what you think is wrong with the world, and I don't care how much life you think truth will come, but truth without love is not Jesus. 
Jesus is grace and truth, 100% grace, 100% truth. And find a tone and find a way of bringing truth that reveals Jesus, not bringing truth that breaks. Is that all right? But wow, we jump onto things and we get so excited. And zeal is not justifiable to hurt other people. Not even zeal for the house of the Lord. Find the tone of the Lord. Find the passion of Jesus in his eyes for people. See, Jesus didn't have Facebook, but he went to people and even when he condemned the religious and the righteous of the day, he did it face to face with tears in his eyes, reaching down into the sand saying, every one of you can receive this grace. And the last one and probably the most important, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Find the 1% that you can resolve around, but find the 100% you can reconcile around. And the 100% is Jesus. What do I mean? Well, it means if there's an issue, understand this. People are different backgrounds, are different stories are different. There's some stuff we're going to disagree around. It's okay. What's not okay is that we are reconciled. Why? Because there's no point and reason for me to be reconciled to God and unreconciled with my brothers. There's just no point. He says, I want to give you this so that you can do this and be agents and give you the ministry of reconciliation. It is a tough one. It's probably the toughest one we got given by Jesus. But it's the one that reveals him the most. I'm convinced, I'm convinced, I'm convinced around this. Reconciliation is more about the future of any relationship rather than the brokenness we have now. 20 years in one church, I could tell you stories that make you run today. There was one unresolved relationship, two, that I can tell you now as far as it depended on me. I don't bring any joy in telling you there are two broken relationships. But I can tell you now as far as it depended on me, I did my best. But in 20 years, two is not bad. And I'm still praying God for resolution in those and for reconciliation in those. I want to tell you conflict is not something to avoid or ignore. It is an opportunity for the triumph of grace. If we get it, we have to be better than the world. We have to. We have to take ownership of the fact that Jesus came to reconcile. And the Father said, Actually, I want my children, but the only way I can get them back is to give a gift, a costly gift. And that gift was his perfect son who came to die on a cross naked in front of his creation, whipped and beaten beyond recognition. Are you whipped and beaten beyond recognition by the distant father, the distant mother, brother, sister, friend, colleague, partner who let you down? So I would say if you're not, there's every bit of potential for God to restore. Because we can sing a song like mover of mountains, robber of graves, but unless it gets into our relationships and we understand the potential of they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. We'll never see the fullness. But if we allow ourselves to become a devoted people, first to him, his glory, his praise, his honor, his everything, and then to what he is building on this earth and who he loves and who he is coming back for his bride, then we'll change this world. It's not about devoted seven days a week to church attendance. I'm not even remotely talking about that. We'll chase you away if you come too often to church, I promise you. 
because we love what he loves too much. He, he died for the world, but he's got to get inside of us.